1: That was Tennessee's longtime Republican Senator Lamar Alexander playing a December farewell piano concert in a Senate office building atrium. Even as they work until the 11th hour in a lame duck session, it's a season of goodbyes for departing members of Congress. In this episode of The Weekly, we'll hear reflections from a few longtime members of the 116th Congress who are retiring, either through their choice or the voters. I'm Susan Swain. With the two Georgia Senate races facing January 5th runoffs, the current tally of departing senators is seven, including Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. 61 House members will not be returning next year. Departing members of Congress leave an institution with deep partisan divisions between the two parties and between the two houses and between Capitol Hill and the Trump White House. Their final year saw a congressional calendar filled with pandemic-related public health and economic crises in the midst of a hard-fought election. Let's begin hearing from some of those retiring members, starting with Senator Lamar Alexander. Elected to the Senate in 2002, Lamar Alexander has been in public life for five decades, serving previously as a popular two-term governor of Tennessee. During the George H.W. Bush administration, he served as Secretary of Education. He made two failed attempts at his party's presidential nomination in 1996 and 2000, campaigning in his trademark red and black check shirts. He talks about life in the Senate in an exit interview with C-SPAN's Greta Bronner.
2: You are well-liked on both sides of the aisle. What gestures have you made over the years to ensure that you have friends on the Democratic side?
3: Well, it's not that I've, because I'm some good person, you know, my, my goal here, I mean, I see the Senate's role as taking these big problems in our country and forging some kind of solution. I mean, how are we going to fix No Child Left Behind? How are we going to solve the opioids crisis? Civil rights earlier. A big solution that most of us can vote for and the country can accept. So to do that, I need to get 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. And to do that, I've got to know Democrats. I can count. I learned that in the Maryville City Schools. So I do it to get a result. But I enjoy doing it. For example. My wife, Honey, and I have had about a third of the senators and their spouses down to our home and outside the Smoky Mountains for a weekend. We've had the Schumers, we've had the McConnells, Tim Kaine and his wife, we have Republicans and Democrats, Patty Murray came. We don't talk politics. We talk about bears and lost hikers. But if you know somebody, then you get to know them and you might develop trust and then you might some, find something you both agree with. That's sort of how it works. Not that complicated. Who
2: are your good friends from the Democratic side?
3: Oh, I have a lot of them. I don't want to. It's like choosing among your, among your children. The, the ones I work with the most are Senator Murray of Washington State and Senator Feinstein of California because they're the senior Democrats on the two committees I chair. And they're pretty tough cookies. I mean, Senator Murray's in the Democratic leadership. She's a liberal Democrat. And, um, however, if she and I can get a deal, she's got the credentials to sell it in her caucus. So our attitude is, if she can get 30 in her caucus and I can get 30 in my caucus, then we've got 60, and if we get 60, we probably get 80.
2: Describe your friendship with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. (laughs)
3: Well, it goes back a long way. Senator Baker told me when I was working at the White House in 1969, he said, you ought to get to know that smart, young legislative assistant for the new Kentucky Senator, Marlo Cook. And that was Mitch McConnell. And so we've we've been on parallel tracks in adjacent states over the last 50 years. We haven't seen each other that much. I mean... He and Elaine have stayed in our home in Nashville. They've stayed in our home in East Tennessee. Uh, but we, we know and understand each other very, very well. And uh, so I don't surprise him as a senator. And it's very helpful if you're trying to pass an important bill to know the majority leader because he's the only one who can put it on the floor. So what he's told me is bring me a bipartisan bill that's good for the country And I'll put it on the floor. He did that this year with the Great American Outdoors Act, which we had a parade of Democrats and Republican senators. As I said, people have been trying to pass it for 50 years, literally. Land and Water Conservation Fund cut the deferred maintenance in all of our public lands in five years, cut it in half. He put it on the floor in the middle of the pandemic, in between an impeachment and election. And um, uh, we passed it. So what would have happened if he hadn't done that? So that relationship is important, not just because I enjoy it. We go out to dinner and have a good time, but uh, because it helps me do what I think I'm supposed to be doing as a senator.
2: What were you feeling, thinking as you watched the majority leader give his farewell remarks to you on the floor? He became emotional.
3: He did. And you know, what I was thinking is part of the downside of politics is that you have so much incoming flack that you develop a shell, otherwise you'd melt. And if I get a lot of that, imagine what the majority leader gets every day, whether it's Frist or Harry Reid or Bill Frist or whomever. So what I was thinking was that he doesn't have a lot of opportunities to show his emotion. He has to have that shell and there he was. So it showed a human side of him that I've seen before and I was glad other people got to see it too.
2: How have you served him over the years in how would your I, friendship? How would I what? How have you served him over the years in your, in your friendship? In your friendship?
3: I've served him by Mitch is an institutionalist in the sense, and I'll go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. He wants the place to work. Now he's political. He likes elections, he likes judges, but he wants the Senate as an institution to to turn pluribus into unum, you know, to be a unifying institution. So I've served him by serving up to him a series of pieces of legislation that have are important to the country and have bipartisan support so that he can put them on the floor. I mean, I take him the Songwriters Act, he said, I, I said, I've got 50, I've got 40 co-sponsors. He said, try to get 65. Or you heard my story about 21st century cures. It wouldn't have happened without, without him. So I think I've served him in the Senate and the country by giving him a steady stream of big bills that most of us in the end could vote for.
1: That was Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander. From his post as chair of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, he shepherded major education legislation into law in 2015. And as he referenced, was a principal sponsor of the 21st Century Cures Act, laying the groundwork for much of the U.S. research into COVID treatments. And he was a major sponsor of the America Competes Act, which recommitted the federal government to investing in scientific research. Republican Senator-elect Bill Haggerty will take Lamar Alexander's seat in the new Congress. Tom Udall was the only Democratic senator to announce his decision not to run again after serving two terms representing New Mexico. He hails from a political family. His father, Stuart Udall, represented Arizona in the House and served as Secretary of the Interior under Presidents Kennedy and Johnson. His cousin Mark served Colorado in both the House and Senate, retiring in 2015. And his uncle, Mo Udall, was a longtime, well-regarded House member who ran for president in 1976. Elected to the Senate in 2008, Tom Udall supported Western policy issues such as land conservation and water conservation and tribal policy. From the Senate floor in December, here is a portion of Tom Udall's farewell address where he talks about some of those passions.
4: I'm also an optimist, and I want to be more accurate. I'm a troubled optimist. I've tried to open my eyes to the challenges we face while never losing conviction in our ability to meet those challenges. As the scientist Rachel Carson said, one way to open your eyes is to ask yourself, what if I had never seen this before? What if I knew I would never see it again? I believe this nation has arrived at a moment when we are opening our eyes to the enormous challenges before us and also to their solutions. Our planet is in crisis, facing mass extinction and climate change. Our people are in crisis, ravaged by a pandemic that has laid bare the inequities of our society. And our democracy is in crisis as the people's faith in their government is shaken. We cannot solve one of these crises without solving the others. And that's why I'm troubled. But all I have to do to be optimistic is look around. Look around me. I look at the young people across this country who are calling for change for climate action, for voting rights, and for immigrant rights, for economic and environmental and racial justice. They've held sit-ins in my office, probably yours too, and they're demanding that we do better. And their determination gives me hope. And I'm optimistic as I look back on the small acts of kindness and the big acts of progress that defined my time in the Congress. I believe that there are lessons in these accomplishments. Now, you may know me as someone who wants to reform the filibuster. But to be clear, I've always supported the talking filibuster. So if you'll indulge me, and by the rules of the Senate, you have to. (laughs) You can leave, but I get to keep talking. I'd like to talk about a few of the highlights of my career and what I've learned from them. As you know, protecting America's outdoor treasures is a cause close to my heart. It's something of a family project. My family homesteaded in the West almost 180 years ago. And like generations of Udalls before me, I grew up with a special connection to the land, to the gorgeous, untamed beauty of the West, to the 60-mile vistas snow-covered, rugged mountains, alpine lakes, and abundant wildlife. Mitt Romney knows this. Our great-grandfathers settled the same small Western community. Stegner called the West the geography of hope. It sure is for me. It's what has inspired much of my public service. And that's why I'm so proud of what we've accomplished together to conserve our natural heritage. On the Appropriations Committee, we've worked together for resources for our public lands and environmental protection on a bipartisan basis in the face of massive proposed cuts. And we've held off anti-environmental riders that have no place in these bills. Thank you to my friend Lisa Murkowski, who has been the best partner I could ask for in this work. In New Mexico, where public lands are central to our way of life, we've had enormous success unlocking tens of thousands of acres of enchanted land for all of us to enjoy and for Martin to hunt on, you know, every now and then. Each of these efforts was collaborative and community-driven, and that collaborative work culminated in one of the biggest conservation victories in American history, the passage of the great American Outdoors Act.
1: That was retiring Senator Tom Udall, Democrat of New Mexico, who has served that state for nearly 30 years, first as attorney general and then a member of the U.S. House before coming to the Senate. He is being replaced by current representative Ben Ray Lujan, also a Democrat.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Turning to departing members of the U.S. House, we hear first from Representative Peter King, who announced his retirement in November of 2019, surprising others in his state. He was New York's longest-tenured Republican congressman. Over his 14 terms, Representative King held several significant committee assignments, including financial services and the Intelligence Committee. In 2011, he became chair of the powerful House Homeland Security Committee. Considered a moderate Republican, he supported expanded background checks for gun purchases and banning coastal oil drilling in opposition to Trump administration policy objectives. Representative King spoke often of his concerns over an increasingly toxic Washington. He considered running for the Senate, though he never did. In 2016, he contemplated running for president to oppose potential Tea Party candidates. Ultimately, he supported Ohio Governor John Kasich. Here is Representative Peter King describing some of his frustrations with the legislative process in
5: Washington. What's big? one of your biggest frustrations here? I would say the needless uh, needless delay and discussion to get things done that obviously have to be done. Like, you know, this year, all the endless debate over the omnibus bill, over the COVID relief. I don't see anything that's out there that couldn't be resolved in a half hour. And I'm serious. I mean, uh, state and local government aid, okay, split the difference somehow. Uh, liability, uh, uh, you know, immunity. Uh, find a way to draft it so that any you know that reasonable people who act reasonably are going to be protected I mean there's nothing in there this isn't like I can see if you have issues like abortion capital punishment war and peace uh, certain criminal justice issues you really can't negotiate them it's hard because you have definite views but these things are all bread-and-butter type issues and you to be bogged down week after week and, and not realizing the unintended consequences or ignored consequences of middle-income people out there, guys and women who have these small businesses, life savings goes into a, you know, a local beauty salon or a local restaurant, <clears throat> a local diner. And just by us waiting an extra few weeks or a month or so, they can be ruined for, for life. And it's, uh, that, that, I think, is one of the frustrations I have. You can get too people in leadership positions, you can get too uh, inward, just uh, not realizing there's a world out there of people that don't follow politics every day who don't have any particular philosophical beliefs, uh, and yet they're going to lose their business, or they're going to be out of luck, or they're going to lose their job, or their company is going to shut down, or the union's going to go under, uh, whether it's on pensions or whatever. I mean, so I, I would say the uh, not. Uh, listen, there's always going to be winners and losers. Always, it's you know never going to be perfect, but get it done, and then we can go on from there. But the delay of not knowing what's going to happen. I find it's very frustrating to people out there. Peter King, who are your friends on both sides of the aisles up here on Capitol Hill? I would say probably the closest friends I've had on the Republican side were Frank Lobiando, Dan Donovan, very good friends. On the other side, Richie New Neal. New York, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Richie Neal from Massachusetts, a good friend. I got along very well with Charlie Rangel. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Elliot Engel was certainly a good guy. And, again, uh, there's many of them. Uh, but I, I would say they would, it, it would be the main ones. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving people out. I mean, right now, people like John Cacko and Lisa Stefanik are really, you know, solid, solid people. Uh, it's uh, Rodney Feelingheisen was a, a very good guy. I had a great admiration for Henry Hyde. I wouldn't call him like a friend. He was at a different level, but I had a great admiration for Henry Hyde And that. He was, uh, uh, he's like one of the last, uh, I've had a giant. and when you think of, maybe it's because I was younger then, but when you think of giants of the house, Henry Hyde was that way, both in stature and also in intellect. I mean, he could be quoting Cicero and the Bible and Aristotle and also uh, know how to deal with the street politicians. He was, uh, he was, he was you know, a totally classy guy. Anybody up here that you try to avoid at all costs? They want a name? No, no uh, there's, there's only a few of them. and I, 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 I'd rather not give them the satisfaction Of knowing they got to me.
1: (laughs) That's a portion of Republican Congressman Peter King's exit interview with C-SPAN's Peter Slen from earlier this month. You're listening to C-SPAN's The Weekly as we hear some of the reflections from retiring members of Congress. Finally, we will hear from New York Democratic House member Elliot Engel. After serving 16 terms in Congress, he was defeated in the Democratic primary in New York this spring by Representative-elect Jamal Bowman. Representative Engel was an ardent supporter of a single-payer health insurance system. One of Congress's leading supporters of Israel, he had a career focus on foreign affairs, and in 2018, he took the gavel as chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Here is a portion of Congressman Engel's conversation with C-SPAN's Greta Bronner, where he talks about his approach as chairman of that important committee. What about on the other side of the aisle? Who have you grown close to over these years?
6: Well, again, uh, Mike McCall is, uh, is, uh, is now the ranking member, and Ed Royce was the, was the chairman, and uh, we uh, all got along very well. There are a number of people uh, on, the, on the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, that I've gotten along with. Um, again, when you go uh, abroad, you, you realize that there's much more that uh, brings us together than, uh, than divides us.
2: Do you know how many trips abroad you've taken over the years?
6: Oh, I don't know. I've taken a number of them. Probably not as much as most chairmen have done in the past because to go on a trip, it's a whole big thing. You're away for a week, and you have to plan, and then you come back. So I, I didn't go on a lot of trips, uh, but enough, enough to, to see people around the world to try to improve uh, America's image around the world, to try to show that... Uh, you know we we are working together, and um again, I think it's important that America uh, keep its keep its role you know nobody uh, I said this before nobody um uh, you know taps us on the shoulder uh, to be the leaders. We have to go out and do it and and you know we we have uh, i have very strong feelings about what the world should be and that the United States should not recoil and pull back and withdraw from the world the united states should should be right in there uh, we have an alliance called nato which uh, uh, basically was was formed to keep the russians in check after world war II. the russians of course called their country the soviet union i grew up under that uh... and uh, felt that they would somehow be around forever but then of course It collapsed, it rotted away, and uh, we we saw a lot of former Soviet bloc countries in Eastern Europe became Western, pro-Western countries and allies of the United States in NATO. So this is what I think, you know, we should do, we should lead on climate change, we should be leading on all these things, because we have the expertise and people do look for us, and, you know, Angela Merkel and others do a great job, but... The United States is, is sometimes missing, and I think that's not a good thing.
1: That was New York Representative Elliot Engel, a Democrat who's departing Congress after 32 years as the 116th session comes to a close at year's end. You've been listening to some reflections from long serving members about the frustrations and opportunities of serving in Congress. C SPAN has a collection of exit interviews with departing members. You can find them on our website, cspan.org. Search exit interviews. We end this episode of The Weekly as we began it with more on the keyboards from Senator Lamar Alexander, this time joined by Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine on the harmonica. We'll let these two senators play us out.